Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Karen here. Funny story. So we recorded this episode before Thanksgiving, tried to get it up beforehand, and things just kind of went wrong. And also I discovered that we were missing the first 10 minutes or so of our recording. It's just vanished because I've been having a million audio problems and I don't know why. Anyway, not that that matters. The point is, you're joining this episode already in progress, and that means because we lost the first 10 minutes... You're not getting to hear our conversations about Stan Lee and William Goldman, both of whom had passed away just a day or two before we recorded. And we spent several minutes talking about both of them and their contributions to our culture and how sorry we are to lose both of these great icons. Um, Apologies for the delay in the episode. Apologies for the cutoff in the beginning of the episode and apologies for some very strange audio problems. Hope it doesn't deter you from listening. Thank you. So yeah, definitely go. If you have, seriously, listen to Kristen. I don't say that very often, but (laughs) (laughs) but if you have not read The Princess Bride, do yourself that favor because it is such a different experience from reading the book and both are great. Um, Okay, so we got some exciting question mark news yesterday. (laughs) Criterion Channel is going to be its own channel. Again! Yay! Yay! I'm excited about this. Yeah. Kristen, you seem like you were not. Um, I mean, I I mentioned when I talked about Filmstruck that I didn't buy into it when it was just Criterion because I didn't really want to watch just Criterion titles. I liked that it was the TCM stuff, that it was more both the important films as well as kind of the classic Hollywood fluff that we like. Uh, As much as I love what's on Criterion, I, I don't watch everything. So this... In watch in reading what they have announced for 2019, it just feels like Filmstruck without the Filmstruck. <laughs> filmstruck light. Yes. Well, I I mean I think that it is. It, it's although they're also talking about like and it's going to somehow work with War, with the Warner Media when they're launching their stream. So it, it at a certain point I'm like, so is it like Filmstruck? <laughs> well, and, and so- I can tell you listening to some of the TCM people that worked on Filmstruck who have mentioned this they're very backhanded about it that this is not something that they're involved in this sounds like something that possibly Warner is working with Criterion alone and so there is some bitterness that they're expressing so and I think that also so yeah that also I think is coloring my my interest in this is because I was just like oh so Warner just wants to keep the classy part they want to keep Criterion happy the sexy part yes well I mean I I don't think that we should I 
I think that I, I completely understand why there are mixed feelings about this. I don't think that we should therefore dismiss the fact that Craig, Warner pulled the plug. Criterion didn't pull the plug. Warner decided. Warner was the one that announced it. Warner decided that they did not want to run this this as it was anymore, and for very stupid reasons, and for stupid reasons that a lot of people have have expressed anger with. Criterion then going off and being like, okay, well, we still want they they're a niche um, they're a niche marketer, they're a niche distributor. They still want to be able to get those things out into the world, and for them to then say, okay, well, we're going to do our own thing and try to promote it and try to kind of build off of some of the um, emotions that were surrounding the shuttering of Filmstruck and be like, okay, well, well, we're, we're going to keep our side of it going. That seems perfectly legitimate. Now, what, whether or not Warner is, is fucking around and is being like, oh, we're actually going to continue to have the Warner archives, but not TCM, like all of that shit, that's not something that anyone can particularly control other than Warner. So I, I'm not going to say no to Criterion, which does release a lot of wonderful films, did have, like, I hate to say it, Three quarters of the stuff that I actually watched on Filmstruck came from the Criterion channel. Um, See, and I'm the exact opposite. Most of what I watched was not Criterion, and and I'm totally sympathetic to that. Like, I I I am upset that those films, or that at least some of those films, are not going to be available, or they're not going to be available in the same way. Um, and I'm upset at losing the curation that Filmstruck did, which was really, really good. And I know that a lot of that was the responsibility of the people working with TCM and working specifically with Filmstruck and, as well as Criterion. So it's, it's all bullshit, but at the same time, I'm like, I want to have access to these films. I want to have access to them on streaming, and I, I want there to continue to be a market for these kinds of films. So I don't think it's a bad thing at the end of the day. Kim? I'm kind of right along the same lines with Kristen. I uh, had gotten jumped into Filmstruck really with the TCM pairing. So this kind of, I, I, I'm, I read the Criterion thing. I was like, okay, well, I wasn't really, I've seen a lot of those. It's, I was getting the truly, in, the content that I was interested in and that I was invested in through the TCM stuff. So that is kind of, I wasn't, overjoyed when I saw the Criterion news. However, I'm completely with Lauren. This is still, this is it's a marketplace that we need to keep. We, You know, we talk on this podcast every week about how there needs to be opportunities for people to see these movies. And these Criterion movies are so big and are so important. I think it's great that they're finding a way to keep it open. I'm just absolutely broken hearted that we're still losing the side of film strength that I was invested in. Yeah, I feel like at least somebody's doing something. And I'm that's really a good way glad to about put that. It. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 where I'm at. So um we'll see what happens with the stuff that is currently on Filmstruck. I know people are still trying to save it. I don't know, but at least Criterion is going to be around because I actually really do like those titles. And the thing is that I don't necessarily want to pay forty dollars for a blu-ray of something just to see if i like it you know i mean at least this exactly. gives me the opportunity to see stuff and invest if i decide i want to so exactly i mean, I mean 
I, I've been watching a bunch of Bergman films uh, because of the shuttering of Filmstruck, so I was like, okay, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch some of the films that I haven't seen, and most of the Bergman films are coming straight out of the Criterion Collection. I am not going to pay to buy the Bergman Collection on the Criterion Collection because I can't afford it. Like there is no way in hell, and half of those films I'm not even certain I want to own. Right. Um, but having them available and actually getting to see them and getting to to catch up on some films that I have either not heard of or not seen is is just still very important and to continue to have the opportunity to do that and to say to other people, hey, you can go and watch these movies. Like there's there's access to them. That's that's important and that's an important part of film history also. That's an important part of what we do. Well, to go on in terms of Filmstruck, just real fast, because I noticed it last night, their star of the week this week is Rudolph Frickin' Valentino. I mean, I was, abs- I started looking through it because I was absolutely amazed. I mean, I I had kind of a Valentino phase kind of when I discovered him probably back in middle school. But back then, the only thing you could get your hands on was the Sheik, maybe, yeah. you know, and maybe Son of the Sheik. Three quarters of these films I've maybe heard about and definitely haven't seen. So th- the f- they're still doing this work so close to the shuttering. And there's so much that can be there and so much that can just give people experience to it so it almost was like it's just a little bit to see that pop up yesterday that we're so close to losing it and there's still so much that can be seen and so much access people could have I just really want Warner to be like you know what we made a major error never mind <laughs> like yeah I just I, I don't it yeah it's it's stupid I don't know what I don't know what they think they're going to do um, with like we're gonna they're gonna launch this streaming service and then Criterion is gonna do their thing and then it's gonna be somehow related but not really but it's not gonna have TCM but it might like all of that stuff just like guys just keep just keep the service going you already have and hell you've gotten a lot of good advertisements for this people have been writing articles and talking about it for like weeks and yeah you know there's obviously a market um, just leave it alone. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's been my big question mark in all this when they announced that they were closing Filmstruck down was, okay, so it's not a huge moneymaker. You know, there are not, you know, it's not tons and tons and tons of people who want this service, but there is a very specific and very invested niche, and it's important. And is it, like, costing them lots of money to keep it open? No. I mean, maybe it's not going to rake in a lot, but if it's not costing them anything, but it's providing a valuable service to people, then what's the problem? They they think that they can make more money some other way, basically. Yeah. Which That's is what it's coming down to. It is. And, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Anyway. um, But, you know, one of the problems with not having things like Filmstruck is that then you end up with people with no knowledge of film history and then they start remaking everything <laughs> again and again and again. <laughs> again. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of remakes. <laughs> so <laughs> this news was announced this week that Army Hammer and Lily James will star in a remake of Rebecca. Take it away, Lauren and Kristen, because I know you two both have a lot of thoughts. Okay, is this a remake or is this a readaptation? Because there have been That's a, a lot question. of adaptations of Rebecca. 
the most famous one is the Hitchcock film because it's Hitchcock and because I think it was the first adaptation of Rebecca and it's it's very well made and it's a great film but there have been like TV adaptations there have been miniseries like there there have been plenty of versions of Rebecca floating around this one is just kind of bigger because it's uh it's Ben Wheatley and an Army Hammer and Lily James like it's a it's a big budget thing yeah, I heard this was happening, and I, I think I tweeted, there's so much what the fuck in this statement that I don't know what to do. Because <laughs> if you had told me that Ben Wheatley, the guy who made Free Fire and High Rise, wanted to make a remake of Rebecca, I'd be like, wait, what? None of that makes sense to me at all. Um, And I'm kind of into it. I mean, if they're adapting the book, which Lauren and I were talking about, the book is slightly different because when Hitchcock adapted it, he was beholden to the Hayes Code, so he has to take away a little agency from people. And that could work. I mean, really, we're all we're all just trying to figure out how, how gay Mrs. Danvers is going to be because I mean, she's pretty, <laughs> pretty homoerotic in, in, in the original <laughs> 40s film. But I mean, are we just gonna go for broke? Because I'm kind of, I'm kind of into that. Somebody on Twitter was arguing with me. They were like, "Oh, so are we just gonna age Army Hammer like thirty years? Are we gonna let this four-year age difference stand?" And I was like, "Actually, I think that could really work because part of the issue that I have with the '40s Rebecca is that Joan Fontaine's character is very." youthful acting you know childlike a little bit not on par with like suspicion i think but it's it plays more like a hitchcock fetish than anything else oh, for and god's sake so i mean <laughs> i'm just thinking that if we did go with the with removing the age difference that is there i mean it could be a really cool commentary on like elitist white men and army hammer could play well an asshole and I'm kind of for that well, wait, I'm wait, wait. This. the whole point of the second Mrs. De Winter is not about her age it's about the way that she behaves right and so Joan, the, the age difference between, and like they actually aged up Laurence Olivier in the film, they like grade his hair, they grade his mustache, they made certain to make him look older I was going to say, he's not that old in that film. Yeah, and Joan Fontaine is not that young. So the 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 gap is really not so much in age necessarily. I don't. Re I honestly don't remember in the book what the if if there is an age difference ever specified. Definitely, Maxim is older, but how much older is a major question. He's old enough that he has been married once, but that that I mean, he can get you can get married when you're 18 years old. Um, so the the difference between the two of them and what changes over the course of the story is her maturity level. And the place where she becomes more mature is is at a certain point in the in the book, as at a certain point in the film, when the power dynamic shifts markedly. And that's the whole point. So I, I don't think that it's like a Hitchcock fetish. I don't think that it's like an issue of how much older or younger the actors are from one another, but the way that they're costumed, the way that they behave towards each other, and that that's going to make the difference. So I don't see any reason why, you know, Army Hammer and Lily James, who might be closer in age than Joan Fontaine and, and Olivier, 
will be any different. I mean, there, there's a very good adaptation of Rebecca that stars Charles that star Charles Dance and Amelia Fox, and Dance is significantly older than Amelia Fox. Um, but again, the whole point was that she acts childish up until a certain point, and then she stops acting childish. All I know is I have some questions. I have questions. A, <laughs> is this going to be a period drama? Are we going to go? Because, yeah. like, Ben Wheatley's films are very modern day. And I, I say that as, I haven't seen A Field in England, so I don't I don't know that one. But That is not modern day. <laughs> okay. I, I figured it wasn't. But, I mean, we haven't seen him do, you know, like, that type of opulence. Most of his movies are very very modern day in terms of content or time period. Free Fire is set in the 70s, but it's still got that slickness to it. I'm all for trying to do some sort of weird 70s interpretation of what this would look like. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Um, I'm just so... I, I mean, there's some big shoes to fill, and I'm not just talking yeah. about Army Hammer going full Olivier. Like, I would never have guessed that, ever. And, and it's actually really hilarious to hear me say that, because it just sounds weird. I, but, I mean, you're playing two titans of acting, Joan Fontaine and Lawrence Olivier, which is some huge, huge shoes to fill. But then you throw in Ben Wheatley, and again, if you have not seen either of the two movies I just mentioned... I'm actually not sure if I should tell you to go watch that. Actually, I, I tell people Free Fire is, is actually really entertaining. High Rise is what it is. Um, but I, I just, <laughs> I don't know how that is going to look. And the fact that I can't put my finger on how that's going to look intrigues me so much. I mean, hell, for all we know, it could be a modern day interpretation of Rebecca where, I don't know, somebody just says the C word a lot. I don't know. It could be. It could be. We don't know. Okay, but I'm cautiously optimistic and I might actually be writing an article laying all that out <laughs> I yeah I, th I think that Wheatley Wheatley is what automatically intrigues me about this it's actually it's not Army Hammer or Lily James I like both of them fine you know I think Army Hammer's a great actor I, I actually enjoy Lily James I think she'll be fine in the part Ben Wheatley I'm just like okay how are you gonna do this story because it's not going to be a, a, a Hitchcock light. This is not going to be, this is going to be his own thing. And that's what I like about the idea is that he, he'll do, you know, Hitchcock put his own style into Rebecca. You know, despite all the interferences with Selznick, despite all of the issues that he had with it, it's very much a Hitchcock film. Ben Wheatley has his own style. Ben Wheatley has his own approach to things. What he will come out with at the end of the day is going to be very different from what Hitchcock did or from what anyone else has done. So I'm I'm all for it. One of the things I like about Rebecca, though, is that it is a gothic story that is set in its own time period. So it's, the, I, I forget exactly what year the book was written, but the film is, you know, 1940. That's, the, that's where it's set. The book was written in 38. Okay, so it's like, it's right there. It is set right there, but it also feels, it feels like a throwback. It's gothic. It's, it's riffing on Jane Eyre. It's like, it, it has a completely different relationship to its time period. So they could set Rebecca in 2018 and still have those elements, still have that sense of isolation, of the gothicness of everything, of the sort of of the concealment of the bluebeard almost um, relationship, you know, all of that stuff. So I will be interested to see, you know, what direction he's going to go with this. The immortal question: Will he be in Tweed? <laughs> 
if he's playing this, <laughs> he has to wear tweed. <laughs> okay, okay. I talked to Karen about this at AFI. I was like, is he going to go for the English accent? I don't think he will because I think he knows his limitations. But I really want to see if that'll enter the pantheon of like bad accents that my boys has, tend to do. Has he tried an English accent? No, he hasn't tried any accent. He is very, very American. I think he knows that it would sound horrible. Wait, 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 wait. wait. He, but he, he did, he did a Russian accent. Oh well, that yeah. But, okay, that is true. I forgot okay, about but, that one. But there's a difference, like Russian and English, like the English accent. You could. Okay, so, full disclosure, all of my boys have done English accents. They all sound cockney. Every single fucking one of them. It doesn't matter if they aren't supposed to be. They all sound like Dickensian street waves. So, I mean, if he wants to try it, I'm, I support this. I support this journey. But I'm getting the sneaking suspicion it would be in, like, my top five bad accents. Because well, it would. <laughs> I, yield, I mean, I yield to Lauren as the expert here but almost i'm sitting here thinking i could see hammer playing it like especially if you're doing it in like the 30s i could see him doing it with just like a Catherine hepburn like just american <laughs> oh, blue yeah. blood accent like, no that Cary would Grant, work with like, Maxim. The, the clip mid-atlantic oh my yeah, god yeah it's <laughs> he he doesn't have to work hard to be cool distant blue blood and oh my god that that is just i'm just imagining army hammer doing a pepper pepper next so that's all i have in my head right now well, oh well, my god I'm, I'm just seeing him doing the Cary grant accent while reenacting the moon party from maniac right now <laughs> <laughs> about army hammer at all for the moment um everything's about army hammer <laughs> hell yeah it is karen what i don't know what you're talking <laughs> about we're gonna get to you <laughs> let's play a game <laughs> who's ready to do noir themed fuck mary kill i can do that well, I certainly am. <laughs> um, <laughs> you get yes. to start, cause... Kim, yeah, why don't you lead us off? Okay, I will... Let's just pick one from the list here. Alright, so first one I went with kind of a private eye theme. So our choices are Humphrey Bogart, Dick Powell, because, you know, he played Marlowe as well, and Robert Mitchum. Okay, so this is ridiculously easy for me, actually. Yeah. So, so you, you marry Bogart. I mean, I go fuck Robert Mitchum, and I kill Dick Powell because I hate him. You know, for once, Kristen and I are in complete agreement. Woohoo! Complete. <laughs> I just like, but I would just murder the fuck out of Dick Powell. Yes, like. thank you. Oh, he would be so dead. <laughs> Um, like, that's like three black, for three because yeah. I'm the same. Yeah, like, I'm thinking like old Hollywood mystery, like Black Dahlia did, like because I hate it. <laughs> so, so based on that, you guys probably assume which way I would take that and go completely <laughs> different. <laughs> 
I am fucking Mitchum. I am marrying Pal and I'm killing Bogart. <laughs> oh, Kim, never change. <laughs> uh, did you have another one? I do. I'll ch- mix it up and go with the ladies this time. I did a... There's there's a couple different lady categories. Um, I called it Femme Fatale 2. So, um, Gloria Graham, Jean Tierney, Veronica Lake. Oh. Shit. Okay. What I you f- got, Kristen? I feel like I'm leaning more on personal no- knowledge than I am character-wise, but that's what I'm doing here. I... I marry Veronica Lake because I know what I'd be getting into with that one, um, and I I probably have to go fuck Jean Tierney because she's awesome and she drowned a cripple boy in a river, so I feel like we would be friends. <laughs> and then I'd have to kill Gloria Graham. I feel very bad about it, but I I would. <laughs> How bad would you feel though? Um, I mean, I saw film stars don't die in Liverpool, so like not like a hundred percent bad, but like more like maybe like seventy percent bad. Um, I think I agree with Kristen. I think so. so It's it's Lake Tierney and Graham. Graham. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, I, I fuck Gloria Graham. I would have to. I would have to kill Veronica Lake. Oh damn! Because I, I don't. I'm not. It's not that I don't like her. It's that I, I don't have, have any feeling for her whatsoever. Um, and and Mary Jean Tierney. So I think that's actually. I'm, I'm in sync with Lauren there on that one. <laughs> Woo. I'm still okay. thinking about this one, but I think I'm going with Kristen. Yeah. Uh, thank okay, you, what else? <laughs> I've got... Alright, we'll jump back to the uh, gentleman. Um, more of the, the, the men I couldn't classify. So we've got Richard Widmark, Vincent Price, and Fred McMurray. The fact that there is no John Garfield on that list pains me. <laughs> well, come oh my god. I, oh, no, no, he's coming. Oh, <laughs> Um, I was gonna make a cross comment. I'm not gonna say that. Anywho, so the the three here. Um, let's see. So it was. McMurray. So wait, it was Rich. It was Richard Widmark, Vincent Price, and who? Fred McMurray. Fred McMurray. Okay. okay. So, oh God. Okay, this is tough. You marry Fred McMurray because I think that I could essentially gaslight him. Because <laughs> he seems, he was pretty dumb in Devil Indemnity. Like, Barbara Stanwyck didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot of work to get him to fall over himself. Um, although I'd have to slap the baby out of his mouth because I just hate his dialogue in that movie. Um, and then I'd probably fuck Vincent Price because, come on, who wouldn't? <laughs> And then I kill Richard Woodmark. I'm sorry. I, I only know him from the, the grapefruit from... Um, I love Lucy. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think Kristen and I spent too much time together this week because I actually completely agree with that. <laughs> alright, alright. Uh, I, I would marry Vincent Price because of course I would. Um, 
Yes, I, yes, you would. Yeah, I would. I would fuck Richard Widmark, and I, I would kill Fred McMurray because, yet again, I fucking hate Fred McMurray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like, regardless of whether you kill him or marry him, the point is to torture Fred McMurray. Uh... <laughs> that almost has to go on a button. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and uh, you guys can probably assume which way I'm going on this one. Uh, so I am marrying Widmark. No. I, I am <laughs> fucking Price and I'm killing McMurray. Yep, that's yeah. totally what I was thinking you were going to say. <laughs> yep. Uh, going back to two more. Um, going back to the ladies. I have another femme fatale category. I, I have character names, but you can go character or actresses. Gilda. Phyllis Dietrichson and Cora Smith. So Lana Turner, Barbara Stanwyck, Rita Hayworth. Oh, okay. Oh no. Yep. So okay. So I'm. If we're going off of character, it's Gilda, Cora, and Phyllis. So the point of marrying them is really just defeating the purpose of those movies, because <laughs> marriage is terrible and it's an anthem to them. But okay. So I'd have to marry Gilda, because come on, it's Rita Hayworth. You fuck Phyllis, but I feel like I would die because I think she would kill me. And then, I, as much as I love Postman, you kill Cora Smith because she's a fucking moron. <laughs> mm. I think I would marry Gilda. Oh, man. Fuck Cora and kill. Yeah. Kill Phyllis. Yeah. That's, that's the difference there. We've <laughs> diverged. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that we're all agreed on marrying Gilda. Agreed, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, honestly, because I think that she's the only one that would not try to murder you. Um, yes. <laughs> in, in, in some way. Uh, yeah, prob- probably f- fuck Phyllis and, and kill Cora. See, I'm with I'm with Karen. I'm marrying Gilda. It's killing killing Phyllis and fucking Cora. Yeah, that seems right. All right, and <laughs> last one, and I know how this one is probably gonna go. We have Dana Andrews, Glenn Ford, and John Garfield. Kill them all. <laughs> I was gonna say kill kill two of the three. Um. <laughs> So, you know the rules. <laughs> it's Dana Andrews and who's the other nondescript? Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford. Okay. I can do this, actually. So, <laughs> you kill Glenn Ford. I'm sorry. His wormy face just bothers me. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get him. Um, so, it does nothing for me. So, I feel you'd have to fuck Dana Andrews because I'm not 100% convinced that fucking isn't what killed John Garfield. So you marry him. So that way you put a ring on that. So that way when he does die, I can just essentially throw myself off a building because that's the hottest piece of ass I'll ever get. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Damn not it, kidding. Y'all should see my, my classic flicks queue right now, which is filled with John Garfield movies. I am going I, I, have a com- I have a comment on that, but I'm not going to say it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
seems to be the, this episode sponsored by I could make a comment but it's not appropriate <laughs> since when has that stopped us um, yeah I agree with Kristen let's move on <laughs> Uh, I would bludgeon each of them to death with a baseball bat. Um, yes. <laughs> also a good answer. Uh, I, yeah, I would definitely marry Garfield. Hell I, yeah. I think that there's no doubt about that. Um, I would, in fact, bludgeon Dana Andrews to death with a baseball bat. Uh, who's the last one? Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll fuck Glenn Ford, whatever. Like, it would just be a one-time wow. thing, but, yeah. I love how that just became a pity bang right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would. Just like, whatever, Glenn Ford. Like, fine. Fine. I can't kill you. Oh, man. Uh, that was fun. And, so. then, and then, there, then there's my oh, answer, yeah. which would be totally different than the rest of you guys once again. <laughs> Shocker. I am marrying Glenn Ford. I'm fucking Dana Andrews, and unfortunately, Garfield is the oh! odd man out. <laughs> no! no. There is wow. so much divergence in this group, you know? <laughs> to quote myself. Kim is always the outlier. To quote myself. Yeah. To quote myself, I'm fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Less competition for you. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody All right. John Garfield. <laughs> well thank you Kim that was really fun so um, moving on uh, oh nobody has any thirst traps this uh, week oh Karen you got thirst traps it's closed I don't know what you're talking about Kristen Lies. I don't know uh, oh that's oh, right do you, do you want me to share it because I'll throw it out there on front street I will throw it out punch okay. your face <laughs> Karen revealed a wealth of secrets to me, both shocking and frustrating this week. So, she should just be lucky to admit to the thirst trap and not the other thing. My name is Karen, and I a little bit, maybe kind of, just a tiny smidgen love Army Hammer. Boom! Yay! Well, still... Finally, she admits it. <laughs> but now I want to punch him with my lips. One of us. One of us. <laughs> why, why don't you give some background on how you came to this magnificent religious epiphany? Well, and this is the thing. Do I love Army Hammer or do I love Marty Ginsburg? Both, because they are one and united now. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, we'll talk more about on the basis of sex in a bit but um Kristen and I got to go see the premiere of that movie at AFI and um there's a scene in which Army Hammer as Marty Ginsburg is in the kitchen cooking dinner with his wearing teenage daughter yes yes he is wearing an apron and he's cooking and he's like chopping stuff and it just was ridiculously hot and I was like oh no, no stop it right now stop the hotness and no and then I so, stopped so Karen has a thing for aprons 
I guess so. No, it's it's a man who knows how to use a knife, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I think, think Karen was really involved in the domesticity of it all, because, like, not only do we see Army Hammer as Marty Ginsburg, like, cooking dinner, he's, like, disciplining his children, and being supportive husband and being like hey girl you go do this i don't the domesticated american male (laughs) yes and i mean it's fucking amazing (laughs) yeah yeah and we'll talk more about the movie like i said but um oh yeah we're gonna talk about fine in that movie oh my gosh and he's also very attractive in person which i have now laid witness to I so. love how you and I watched that movie and we were looking at totally different things. <laughs> it's I was sitting there looking at other things being like, You're holy shit, on. what have thou wrought? Okay, I like had a full-on Black Phillip moment. Like, oh my god. This movie <laughs> knows me. It's true. Yeah. So, we'll come, we'll come back to that. We will. Um, if, if you're just joining us, Karen loves Army Hammer, loves him. So, yeah. Allegedly. Um, We will be waiting for your first What I Did for Love Army Hammer edition. I can recommend you some movies. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. I've actually seen more Army Hammer movies than you know I have, so. (gasps) The secrets just keep coming out. I know! I know! We we know that Karen has been secretly in love with Army Hammer for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. I think it's true. I don't know what now, you're talking about. Now she could just watch the other thing so that we can disclose that. <laughs> uh, nope. All right. So, <laughs> moving on. We got some reader questions. Listener questions. They might read too, but they listen. Um, speaking of on the basis of sex, we have a brand new patron, guys. Um, Brandon Kane, thank you so much Yay. for subscribing. Yeah, so on Twitter, Brandon is at underscore zero wolf, and he asks, Is the line about the word freedom not being in the Constitution from on the basis of sex trailer in the actual film, or is it a trailer mistake? It is in the actual it's film, in the and film. it's. Yep. I was about to say, that better be, or I'm going to be pissed. I, I saw that question and got really worried. It yeah, I was, I was surprised film. by the question, because I, I didn't realize that that was something that people thought might not actually be there, but yeah. I mean, it does play like a trailer line, and as we've seen some trailers, you know, that doesn't always translate to the film. But yeah, it, it's here. It, it needed to be there. Yeah, it did, and it's a really good moment in the film, and I can't wait for everybody to see it. I know! I want to see it again. Um, we got another question at Pulp Serial asks, is it a disservice to Kelly Freeman Craig that she was only asked to write Bumblebee when she did such an amazing job directing The Edge of Seventeen, especially when male directors will make an indie and then get asked to direct a big budget blockbuster nowadays? I was confused by this question. Kelly Freeman Craig was asked to write Bumblebee? She didn't write Bumblebee. I have no idea. I just put the questions on the agenda. Uh, it was written by christina hodgson right i mean was she offered it i don't know Um, i don't know i didn't hear about that yeah yeah i i mean she she's doing are you there god it's me margaret Mm -hmm. Ooh, 
And she's directing that too, I think. Yes, I mean, she's she's listed, I'm just looking at her Wikipedia page, she's listed as the director, writer, and producer. So, it looks like, it looks like Kelly Fromo and Craig is actually co-writing. She is now listed as, um, hold on one second, guys. Let me text the person who keeps calling me and telling them that I'm unable to... Wait, so she's a co-writer on Bumblebee? Yeah, it says that she's... It says her and and Kelly from McCraig. Oh. Yeah, I'm seeing a couple of things too. It's Yeah. So as of as of August twenty third, it's it says screenplay by Christina Hodson and Kelly from Craig. Where do you see that? There is a T- message. TFW two thousand five dot com. Transformer World. Well, all right, uh, then. Because they have not updated the IMDb page, which is yeah. a shock. There's a lot of mistakes on that. but And according to Sci-Fi Wire, as of September 24, 2018, co-written by Christina Hodson and Kelly from Uncrate. Yeah, co- Complex Magazine as well. So, huh. it okay. looks like it's something that's not being widely reported. <laughs> right. Is she doing, could she be doing a rewrite? It sounds, if, if Well, the movie is a... done. Oh, yeah. true reshoots maybe then it would have to be pretty significant for her to to get the co-writing credit yeah she's not directing bumblebee no 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 so that's weird i don't know yeah travis knight is the director so but to the heart of the question so kelly she directed edge of 17 which was really well received it's a great movie and after that her follow-up is a co-writing credit on a big blockbuster she hasn't been asked to direct a big blockbuster so what do we think about that is that a disservice to her you know it's it's what we expect i think yeah it is we expect these women that have these successful movies to end up co-writing stuff or staying in low-budget films as we've seen with people like Catherine hardwick and sam taylor johnson you know they aren't offered movies after the success of these franchises and that's just with franchises too you know they're not offered roles so i think it is a disservice that she made edge of 17 which which was a, a hit it connected with so many people and I mean, it's great that she's co-writing a comic book franchise, but as we've seen with screenwriters, you don't generally bring the screenwriter back with subsequent sequels. Well, I'm um, sorry to—I don't want to dump on Travis Knight here, but it is a disservice. I mean, I'm looking at the director's filmography. He directed Kubo and the Two Strings, and then he has Bumblebee. Other than that, he is an animator, so he is getting a box office caliber franchise spinoff with little to no directing experience well kubo and the two strings is not uh that that wasn't a minor film particularly no and and i i do think that the the transform i mean transformers were whatever you might feel about them a lot of it is animation um so it's it's not it isn't surprising i on this one i'm not quite certain because it seems like she was maybe brought in to do some work on the script at some point but that this is not exactly she's also if she's if she's going on to do are you there god it's me margaret and she's also like at least according to her wikipedia page she's developing a uh tv series based on the edge of 17 
that's not insignificant. And now you can we can make the argument that those are you know quote women's films as it were. They're about you know adolescents. They're about uh, the experience of young girls and things like that. But I don't know if this doesn't seem to be a, a that you know we're going to knock her down a peg or something like that just because she might have done some rewrites on a Bumblebee script. My thing is, and I mean, I am not excited about the continuation of the Transformers franchise. And this is as someone who grew up loving the Transformers cartoon. But I I think it's actually something to celebrate and applaud that they've taken a step forward. That something that is generally considered to be for boys, the Transformers franchise, they've cast a woman in the lead role, because you've got Haley Steinfeld playing this main character in this Bumblebee movie. And then, on top of that, they have two women writing the script. Yeah, it's still directed by a dude, but this is actually a, a kind of a step forward for a franchise film. Especially for a Michael Bay franchise film. Yeah. So... So I think that it's something to applaud because at least it's a step in the right direction. There's still a long way to go um, in terms of representation and women directing big budget blockbuster films and franchises. But I, I think that we should at least at least recognize this for what it is and and applaud the the step. Um, and get ready to watch that Edge of Seventeen TV show because I bet that'll be amazing because I love them <laughs> so much. And the other thing I'm thinking about too is just in general. So she had you know success with that movie, but it's taken a while for her to translate that into something else. And I was just thinking about that the other day um, when Kristen and I were at a conversation with Mariel Heller and Melissa McCarthy, and Mariel Heller, uh, she was really um, embraced for her debut film, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, and instantly became like, she was getting attached to all these projects, and it's taken three years for her next film to come out. And that's Can You Ever Forgive Me? And so, I mean, these things do, unfortunately, take time. Maybe they shouldn't, but they do. That's kind of, I don't know. I I'm really... I'm surprised. I didn't know that she was even attached to Bumblebee because I was just going off of the Christina Hodgson news. So we'll see what happens. I, I'm still not super excited to see it, but I'm actually a little bit more intrigued now. Yeah, it's it's like you say, it's more interesting now that a, a Transformers film that has a main female character has actually been written by two women. That's 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 significant. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about a couple of trailers, because we had a few this week that kind of broke the internet. Um, <laughs> surprisingly. I am so excited, you don't even know. <laughs> I am too. Um, let's get Dumbo out of the way, because, um, yeah. Who's excited for Dumbo? Don't all talk at once. Okay, um, well, you, you already know my thoughts. I shared them to you in line when we, when we saw the trailer for this. So, with everyone now, um, I am not excited for the movie. I I still don't understand how somebody would watch Dumbo and think, you know, this movie's missing more humans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that part. Less racism, more humans. Uh, the trailer, <laughs> the trailer looks like the circus scene from Big Fish. So it looks like an hour and a half, you know, expansion of that film, which is. But 
Kristen had a brilliant crossover idea that I'm actually kind of upset that they're not doing I now. I do want someone to recut this trailer with Grady Showman. Because Ooh. I feel yes. like it would be perfect. And Colin Farrell can sing, so just just let him just recut it. Recut it for my enjoyment. That being said, you have Colin Farrell on a horse playing supportive Disney Dilf. Um and She's here for it. She doesn't even care. As somebody who watched Saving Mr. Banks a lot when it came out, because... Yep. Who didn't? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm gonna go. It looks crappy. Tim Burton hasn't been good since, what, 07? I think? Sure. Sure? That sounds about right. That's being um, kinder than I was gonna be, so... I like Frankenweenie. Oh, see, I didn't even remember that movie existed. Um, I love that so, movie. I can't say I'm excited for the movie, but, I mean, come on. Even even a shitty Colin Farrell movie is still a Colin Farrell movie. That's that's my logic. Put it on a t-shirt, guys. Yep. <laughs> yep. We have to start writing these things down. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, Kim? Uh, weirdly enough, I, I do generally like Tim Burton's aesthetic. I think that I agree that he's fallen off, particularly in, in the past five or ten years, but um, weirdly enough, I actually, am, I was actually intrigued by this when I watched the trailer, and part of it is because, like, if you, the second you play a few bars of Baby Mine, um, I burst into tears, so that, it definitely worked, you know, good job, Disney, you worked on my emotions. Um... It, this looked kind of cute. I mean, I, I agree. They're obviously, they're expanding. You know, D Dumbo, the original Dumbo is like a 65-minute film. It's it's not exactly a long film. It's not exactly a complicated film. Uh, but they're, they're, you know, they've added the human characters. It, it looks like it could be, it's a great cast. It looks like it could be potentially moving and everything. The only thing that I'm, like, weirded out by is the animated elephants, uh, which just freak me out. But... You know, it's fine, and, and Colin Farrell continues to, like, be what Johnny Depp should have been. So, yay, Colin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kim? I had a weird experience. While I kind of resisted watching this for a couple of days. I finally watched it last night. I saw it, the news came out. I'm like, God oh, damn, I'm not going to support this shit. You know, oh, re remaking my, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And last night, I'm like, okay, fine. I got to watch it. So I flip it on. I'm like, oh, you know, arms folded, you know, watching this. Had a couple, you know, thirsty thoughts about Colin Farrell. By the end of it, I was in tears. Just. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is this emotionally manipulative movie doing to me? Just floods of tears emotionally broke me by the end of it. So I, I'll, I've done all the stupid Disney remakes. I'm sure I'll go see this and I'll go thirst over Colin Farrell and his period clothing. But it, yeah. I'm not, and I will say, I my personal view, Tim Burton has not been good since 1990 nine there i said it but i will i will be there i will check it out because i yeah i will i'm gonna watch it because it's disney and i am compelled to watch disney movie i mean i gotta gotta earn that disney money somehow right i'm being paid the mouse overlords we gotta that's right so i'll see it and i don't know i i feel like i'm optimistic about it 
Maybe. No, your your know. optimism is we need somebody to be optimistic. <laughs> Please continue. You t- you two have gotten me covered the last you know couple stories, so keep it going. We'll see what happens. So, all right. Um, also, Disney, Toy Story Four. I completely Forky. forgot this was a thing. <laughs> I keep thinking it's a joke. I it feels like a joke. It, Toy Story 3 I, was so perfect. Why are they messing with that? It feels like that feels like a completely different tone. I mean, I I watched rewatched it again last night, and then there was a second. I don't know if anybody else has stumbled onto it. There was like a second clip that came out of like two carnival bears kind of making fun of Toy Story that Buzz and Woody kind of come in at the end. Huh. It feels like a really strange departure in tone that I'm like, is this well, like I mean, sausage to, no. party mixed with Toy Story? <laughs> and I mean, it's Toy Story is such a huge nostalgia thing for me. It's like, of course, I'll be there to go see it. But that just everything about this marketing has completely thrown me that I don't even know what to say about it. Well, it's hard to know because this is just a teaser and I don't think that that's actual like footage from the film. I think that's just kind of a, hey, everybody's back and there's this spork thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think that was like really a look at what the movie is going to be. It's just a reminder and just like a little wet your whistle that it's really happening, I think. I mean, I hope so. A little spork thing. (laughs) <laughs> my problem with the the trailer was that i mean toy story 3 ended so perfectly yeah and we get this trailer which as much as my mother applauded the use of both sides now for the song choice i was just like why does this exist like i'm not understanding how it can justify its own existence and then forky the spork I don't know if we're gonna make that joke <laughs> pops up and I'm just like wait what the hell is this like you mentioned I thought it was a joke and then they did the added reaction to trailer with Key and Peele and is that who that okay that thing okay yeah and that so was I'm, Key and Peele okay I'm just so confused on who is deciding this like I need to see some film footage yeah. know what the plot is but right now if you're telling me that it's the toys reuniting and going on some sort of, I, uh, from what I read it was they were going on a uh, journey to save Bo Peep right? That's what I heard too. That's what I heard which kind of contradicts the third movie where Bo Peep had been sold when Andy's sister sold all her toys um, and we didn't really seem to care about her then um, but banding together to find Bo Peep with a spork named Forky uh-huh. <laughs> but I can just see the Disney men, okay, all of them mm-hmm. in suits with the Pixar guys being like, okay, we got an idea. It's a $100 million movie. And, and keep in mind, I'm saying this like I'm on blow because I'm assuming that all of them are high, okay? And they're just like, um, <laughs> toys. toys. The toys from Toy Story. They, they go on an adventure, an adventure to find a chick. The chick. We'll pick a chick from the movie, okay? There's, there's plenty of Barbies and shit in there, okay? And then they need a friend. They need a friend marketing toys. Um, I'm using this spork to do my lines. So, you know, we'll get a spork and we'll call it 
forky because it's funny because a spork is not quite a fork, but it's not quite a spoon. <laughs> Boom! Hundred million dollars, please. The sad thing is, you're probably not that far. Off. I know I'm not that far. Off. John Lasseter would have been at the top of that table because you know it's yep. Okay, that, that John Lasseter is the one who was just signing the the contract for the movie with one hand while fondling a poor female coworker with the other. So oh my god, god. too soon, too soon. <laughs> He's um, this to do is his... the movie that Rashida Jones quit, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sporky, the Forky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm with you, Karen. I I will like to see some more footage, but it's like that. I just that was so weird. I guess I'm confused, and I don't know where they're trying to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would love to think that there's some like Boots Riley esque plot behind all of this. Like that like, could be I, fun plot I, twist. I just want Army Hammer as his character from that movie trying to be like Tim Robbins in um what's the one with the movie with the hula hoop Hudsucker Proxy, where he's like, "We've made this movie for kids." <laughs> Twenty minutes left. Buzz Lightyear turns into a horse person. I mean, oh yes! <laughs> oh my god! Best thing ever. Oh, goodness. Um, so we had one other trailer this week. That is spork-free, unfortunately. It <laughs> is spork-free, and it looks like a damn delight. <laughs> this looks like a damn delight, but the Toy Story movie looks like a gag. I don't know, but I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> Lauren, why don't you, because you clearly have thoughts, share what you think about Detective Pikachu! <laughs> Oh my god. Oh god. When the internet exploded, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? This cannot possibly be real. And I rem- and I vaguely remember people talking about it like a year ago or so. And I was like, oh, they're going to make a Detective Pikachu. And I was like, how old are you? What is happening? I came out a year ago. What are you talking about? Detect- Detective Pikachu? And, and yeah, and the trailer, I was just like... I was just like, this is this is either the worst idea ever or potentially the greatest idea ever. And I'm I'm going towards greatest idea ever because it's Ryan Reynolds voicing a, a Pokemon in like a neo noir Blade Runner Pokemon world, and and it's just the great. It's it's amazing. Like I cannot wait for this movie. I'm so excited. <laughs> It's directed Same. by Rob Letterman, who did Shark Tale, Monsters vs. Aliens, Gulliver's Travels, and Goosebumps. Hmm. <laughs> I think that might have been. The excitement is a little bit muted track. now. <laughs> yeah. And it's co written by Nicole Perlman, who wrote the script for. She's writing the, the treatment for Black Widow. She's writing the. Well, and she's the movie. She wrote the first Guardians script, right? That's she the screenplay for Captain Marvel and wrote yes, Guardians of the Galaxy. She was she was that writer. <laughs> so predominantly a Marvel writer, but um, yeah. So how the hell Toy Story Four looks like a joke, but a movie about a fucking Pikachu being a detective is like actually presented with seriousness and thought. These are really I, I, times. That's all I can think. He's just so cute and I want one. <laughs> the Ryan Reynolds thing threw me. I, because he is so reliant. He is Deadpool now, to me at least. It's his voice. Kids. It's, was that? 
He's got kids. He's got to make something for his kids to watch. They can't look off of Deadpool and Green Lantern, can they? Okay, his voice Pika, is Pika, so... Pika Pika, motherfucker. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was a scotch too old for Pokemon. I kind of missed that. But I kept Everyone watching is this going, this is a Deadpool 3 trailer. And I don't even care. <laughs> It oh felt like God. it would just, he would whip off the costume and turn into Deadpool and, you know, step out. It just, oh, it you know, felt like one gigan- gigantic, self-aware, postmodern joke that I wasn't quite in on. You know Deadpool 3's plot is going to be him giving Ryan Reynolds shit for making Detective Pikachu. <laughs> all I know okay. is I kind of want all the mythical little cute things to be part of a world where they, like, do adult things. So, like, I want Detective Pikachu to be, like, Sam Spade, but I want his, like, Guy Friday to be a Porg, <laughs> and then they go out and solve crimes or something. Oh, I if, don't know. if Detective Pikachu is not frequenting hookers and drinking and blow, oh, this yes. will be severely... This will this needs a rewrite if that is not happening. <laughs> wow. Well, the, this we, trailer we did alert... This trailer did alert me to the fact that apparently there is fan fiction for, like, Ash's mom and Mr. Mime. What? What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone on Twitter began posting, like, Mr. Mime. I don't know shit about Pokemon, but apparently he's the, little, he's the weird little Pokemon dude with... He's in the trailer. Uh, and... and like, the main guy's mom, and they have sex, and there's a there's fan fiction about this. There's a fan fiction about basically a human woman having sex with a creepy Pokemon. There's oh, that doesn't fan- surprise me in the slightest. There is fan fiction about everything. I know because my friend's idea of fun is to read me horrible things about people I love in fan fiction. And yeah, <laughs> it's fucking terrible. Yeah, okay. fiction across genres and species and everything. So. All yeah. I know is we live in a world where Justin throws in the Lady and the Tramp movie. So you know what? Detective Pikachu doing blow and visiting hookers is a very real possibility. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't oh, happen, goodness. that movie's automatically a failure, especially with Ryan Reynolds as the voice. Yes. I think it's going to be a damn delight, and I can't wait. <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, moving on. So, as promised, we're going to talk a little bit about AFI. Um, and, well, actually, while well, I'm getting ready for that conversation, Kim, why don't you catch us up on what you've been seeing in the last couple weeks? God, I was hoping you were, you were guys were going to go first so I could arrange my thoughts. I uh, haven't seen... T- um... I should have been seeing a lot more than I am. I was, but it's anything I've seen in the last couple of weeks have just been screenings through a haze of antibiotics. Um, just real quick, blow by blow, because um, I don't think I've been on the podcast since I saw, let's see, Boy Erased, um, which the passage of time... Um, let's see, so I saw the primary two that I've seen lately that we're going to talk about, Boy Erased, and then I saw The Grinch because that was that was a thing that needed to happen. Um, I also saw Widows, but we're going to talk about that in a bit, and then I'm still catching up on everything else that I should have seen. Uh, Boy Erased, so that is the 
other Cameron Post movie, essentially, and I still haven't seen Cameron Post, so I cannot speak to that one. Um, I will say coming out of it, I was actually pleasantly surprised with where I was going into it. Um, I still had Joel Edgerton taste in my mouth from Gringo, I guess. <laughs> that is a weird <laughs> sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm leaving right now. That's it. I've broken Lauren. I didn't think that was possible. Oh my god. <laughs> um, it was fine. It did. It did what it needed to do. I mean, I Lucas Hedges broke me as he is when you give him space. I think he is quite good, and it's. I saw this three weeks ago now, and it's been a while. Um, the tone, I thought, was just... I don't think the movie quite knew what it wanted to be up until maybe the last quarter. Um, so I believe... I want to say Edgerton wrote and directed it. Um, I think once they found their footing in probably the last act, I think it was very solid. Um it's, I think it's going to get some attention. Um, Nicole Kidman broke me in a couple of places. Lucas Hedges was good. Uh, the presence of Russell Crowe absolutely depressed me. I got into s- some discussions with young youngsters after the movie who I had to remind that Gladiator was a thing and that Russell Crowe didn't always look like a you know 40-year-old Baptist preacher from the you know deep south with a gut hanging farther over his pants than a chicken. <laughs> God, Kim, tell us how you really feel about <laughs> Russell Crowe. <laughs> that was, Russell Crowe was an important time for me back when Gladiator came out. And it's been a long time and I felt really old after that. Um, ultimately, I'm going to probably withhold judgment on this until I can finally see Cameron Post. Because I really like to see that one as well to kind of just judge and gauge I thought this one was fine but I didn't get as emotionally into it as I was expecting to uh, but also I know there was a lot of sobs echoing around me in the theater so I don't know if that was just me not being a cold heinous vengeful bitch um, let's see moving on so I can keep the discussion going Grinch I saw as well um, I saw this for two reasons the first one being Benedict Cumberbatch and the second one being wet with my family because they're big Despicable Me people and it looked like it was going to be a carbon copy of Despicable Me. And ultimately, it, uh, once again, like I said after A Star is Born, this has been remade so many times. It's like, what, what are you really adding to the storyline? Um, yeah, there were some moments, it felt like test audience the movie this had been you know gone through so many test audiences so many focus groups that anything interesting that was potentially there they got rid of the humor that i was hoping to see really wasn't there um the who's were flat and fairly pretty boring every time the who's were on screen i pretty much tuned out Uh, i saw somebody on twitter and i apologize to whoever says it because i can't remember called this the grinch who fucks which i guess (laughs) works in my head and since it was benedict cumberbatch i am absolutely fine with that um completely 
honestly boring, unoriginal. You know, if you're looking for a kid's movie, it was totally fine. But they could have taken it so many new and interesting directions that they just completely missed the mark on. All right. Anything else that you want to... Not at the moment. Like I said, I'm failing. I've failed on multiple counts in the last couple of weeks, and there's stuff I really need to get caught up on, so hopefully I'll be able to do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I have not seen The Grinch, but I was informed that I will be seeing it on Thanksgiving, so yay. You did see Boy Erase, didn't you? I did see Boy Erase, and I really you- liked it. You did, okay. I actually liked it better than camera and post. I'm going to throw something at you through the screen. That's fine. I I will just give a very, very short... uh, Yes, I saw Overlord because I was bored in the middle of the week and decided, I was like, I want to go see some good Americans kill Nazis. And this is a very satisfying movie about good Americans and a couple of French people viciously murdering Nazis for two hours, which is awesome. Killing Nazis. Gonna kill the Nazis. Um, yeah, it's it's a surprising. It's a very straightforward film. You know who the good guys are. You know who the bad guys are. It is as it should be. The bad guys are the Nazis, and the good guys are pretty much everybody else. Uh, but it's it's a very well made film. It's it's a quality piece of entertainment. It is incredibly violent. Like there are there's people getting hung on meat hooks and all sorts of exciting things happening, but it is also a very satisfying film. Uh, wow. According to the two little old ladies who were sitting behind me, I laughed every time a Nazi died. So there's that, um, and there are lots of Nazis dying in this movie. It's it's just a very like enjoyable, well-made film um, that you know takes. The, my my one my one objection to it is that there is a plot point that some of the plot the plot is moved forward by the attempted assault of a, a young woman and and it sort of shows like hey this guy in a Nazi uniform is the villain and just like yeah we know that the guy in the Nazi uniform who's being an asshole is the villain we don't really need to see him try to rape anybody in order to get that point across. So I was a little bit tired of that. It's not, um, it isn't explicit. It isn't like, uh, it's just uncomfortable. And it's yet another moment where you're like, oh good, we're gonna watch a a woman be traumatized in order to advance the plot of this film. Because that's essentially what it is. That's the whole point of the scene. Um, Beyond that though, it's it's very well made. I like the fact that that the main character and the, the sort of the character that represents all that is best in America is a black soldier. Uh, and that is something I really enjoyed. And I, I liked getting to, there's something incredibly satisfying about seeing this black soldier who largely doesn't want to kill people, but knows that he has to kill the Nazis. And watching him murder a bunch of Aryan assholes, like just, Again, incredibly satisfying. So go see it. It's kind of been it's been undersold, I think. It was not something that I particularly heard about. I'd seen it a couple of trailers for, but then people began talking about it online. And it's it's a it's a surprisingly enjoyable film. Like it's totally satisfying. And it's nice to see a movie where there's this unequivocal hatred of fascists. Nice. 
So I'm actually going to try to go see that this afternoon. All right. Kristen, are you ready to talk about AFI? Yes. So we're going to just... I have another podcast I have to start in like 20 minutes. So we're going to just kind of run through this. Let's just do day by day and just kind of quickly what we saw. And Um, I was just going to touch on some of the movies that I actually had like strong opinions on. Well, I had strong opinions on almost everything. So, um, oh, um, see, see, I was, I was kind of mad on a couple of things. So, I know you were. Well, we okay. So, well, first of all, the opening night film was on the basis of sex, and we already talked about that, and we both really liked it a lot. Um, I loved it. Karen actually loved it, which was happy for me because she had been kind of on the fence about it all year. And... No, I have not been on the fence. I have been very, this movie's going to be blah. And <laughs> Okay, well, I was it... trying, to, trying to give you a little a little poop. No, I, no, I think it's significant. Like, the fact that I was just like, this movie's not going to be good, and then I ended up loving it, would, I think that's that's something that is noteworthy. For me, yeah, so. for me, I, I, I wanted, I hoped it was going to be good, and it was good. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, yes, it's, it's, um, quote unquote, safe. Yes, it's by the numbers, but I think that's what we need right now to see a strong woman that's surrounded by people that actually care about her and don't resent her for her intelligence and watch her succeed. And fucking Justin Thoreau is awesome in it because he gets to wear corduroy and elbow patches. So it's essentially all of the things six-year-old Kristen knew that she loved when she was six years old put into one person and I feel that Mimi Letter personally did that for me. So yeah. Um, it is leader, but that's okay. Whatever. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, people's and, names and matter, Kristen. I know they matter, yes. So thank you for thank you for correcting me. But and and there's dance. There's dance. There's there. dance and a lot of good costuming and some great hair and makeup and Army Hammer is supportive dad and husband and like I love how the movie pretty much posits bad men as the ones who think that feminism is akin to destroying the American family and we have to give them like cigar chomping close-ups like so many of the camera moments that we were talking about during this movie just are, are aware of the male style of filmmaking and seek to undo that so it's it's really really good yeah between that and another film that we'll talk about in a second like i'm feeling optimistic about supportive spouses in film so um yeah okay so that was thursday night and then uh on friday what do we do friday friday I'm we saw box lux oh yeah why don't you talk about box lux Fox Lux is the Natalie Portman movie that I feel anybody who says that they liked it is lying and they just feel they need to say they liked it because it's artistic. It's well, awful. Well, no, no, no. I think that they they think that they're supposed to consider it artistic and so they talk about how great it is. It's like when, when someone stares at a dot on a canvas and they're like, yeah, it means this and it actually doesn't it's mean art? anything. It's literally just yes. a dot on a canvas. Yes. Versus an artist who actually places something on a canvas for a significant reason. This is not art. It's a sad attempt at art. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, and it was not worth watch screening it in a weekend that had mass shootings. Uh, trigger warning. Oh my there gosh. Three scenes of mass shootings in this movie. Three scenes. And you're yeah. kidding. 
No, yeah. Well, it yeah. opens. No, no, no. It opens. The opening scene is a school shooting. Yes. Oh and God. it puts you as if you are right there in the school. And it's terrifying. And I, I did not look up what the movie was about going in. So I had no idea. And I was completely unprepared. And it was very jarring. Yeah. Um, so it's awful, and and any I I know people say well at least Natalie Portman's I would say Natalie Portman is not good, she's not good. No, no, she's seriously overacting, and I I the said, accent like, was so irritating. It's like the SNL raps that she did turned into a movie. I think those are more character. fun to watch. Those are more fun to watch. Nobody asked them to be a movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we also saw the first episode of patty jenkins i am the knight yay it was so i'm up my so alley. jealous so up my alley i can't wait for january i know um i i it's so up my alley if you kim i think you'll love it that like 40s-esque yay! like noirish la confidential like fucking crazy orgy party type of thing that like we all hear about happening in the 40s oh my god it's right there it's i am so stoked i so can't wait Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then we saw Roma, and we were both kind of cool, not as enthralled with it as the rest of the world. I'm um, glad to hear that. I saw that too. You were wrong. <laughs> well, I, I, in my defense, I saw The Chambermaid two days before, which is um, a film about a modern day maid um, directed by uh, a woman, and I felt that movie did the material better. So I don't know how, if I if I had seen Roma first, if I would have felt differently. Um, I I mean I like this is technically beautiful. Technically, it's editing. stunning. Yes. Oh the yeah. The story did not grip me, and I I was very sad. I wanted to like it. Um, I I mean I liked it. I just I thought I would have a more like visceral reaction. Yeah, mm. I liked it. I didn't love it. I am stunned Netflix picked it up. It does, this does not, I don't think that's a Netflix acquisition at all. Oh, no, this is definitely a sign of the direction Netflix wants to go. And so it actually makes a lot of sense to me why they does it. They took okay. it. Yeah. Uh, I but, will throw out that um, also on the 10th, I saw Jin, which is a movie everybody should go seek out. Um, it's a fantastic, fantastic movie um, about uh, mother and daughter trying to argue over religion and adolescence state of becoming it's a fantastic movie it's probably the second best film i saw at the best awesome i saw rafiki on sunday um which is the one that is banned in kenya because it's about two girls who fall in love and of course homosexuality is illegal in kenya and so the film they actually had to do they had to to do it all kind of in secret and the actors they because they filmed the whole thing in kenya and so the actors had to be super secret and quiet about what they were doing and then it premiered at can and it's a really sweet movie it's really sweet it's not um it's it's not like a huge big story but and it's and it's not anything that's controversial here it's just a you know it in some ways, it kind of was similar toned to, or at least the feeling of watching it was similar to watching, like, Love, Simon. But knowing what a huge deal this is and what it really means for people in Kenya made it just that much more gripping. And I really liked it. 
Um, one movie I hope I you guys get a chance out, to see it. Uh, I'll throw out a movie that I hated uh, to go off of Karen's. Uh, I saw Under the Silver Lake, which is a real movie. <laughs> it is a real movie that exists. And if A24 was smart. You wish I was right, don't you? I wish you were right. If A24 was smart, they would make this a VOD and just dump it. Um, it's fucking atrocious. Like, Vox Lux, I would watch that again. Under the Silver Lake, I wanted to scrub Ew. my eyeballs. Ew. It is terrible. There is literally a scene where they look at a toilet bowl. The inside of a toilet bowl with shit in it. And I was just like, so we're, we know this movie. We know what it is, right? Like, because we're acknowledging it. Um, it's <laughs> fucking awful. Awful. Fun. Um, also coming to Netflix later, well, in December, I saw, I went to the premiere of Bird Box with Sandy B. Sandra Bullock and it's directed by Suzanne Beer. It's a horror film. It's a little bit a quiet place-ish except for that you can't look um, at whatever this thing is because it kind of it makes it's really unclear what it is that it does to people and how it affects them but it kind of makes people see things and and then hurt themselves and kill themselves. So it's like um, um yeah <laughs> actually maybe that's why I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Because people are mixed on Bird Box, but it's really fun. And Sandra Bullock is awesome. She's so good in it. And Trevante Rose is super hot. Um, yeah. So uh, I saw, liked that. You, you and I went and saw Destroyer. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we had more fun making fun of it than mm -hmm. we did watching it. That movie's painful, guys. It's painful. Oh, you're kidding. It's just it's painful. It's not, it's not terrible. It's just really Boy, uh, like... if you watch if you watch actual like true crime stuff this movie is painful because yeah, it, they get every to... aspect of police work completely wrong it wants to be like like a 70s hard-boiled type of throwback but it doesn't seem to under the script is the problem Kareem yeah. Kusama who is the director is not the problem it is the script which is written by a guy, and boy does it feel like it. But mm. I told Karen, somebody should have warned me, because if I had known that Toby Kebbell was in it, I'd have told you we are in, we made a huge mistake, because <laughs> nothing he makes is good. But we did uh, have a lot of fun making fun of it, so. We did. That. Like, for example, when we were talking about Toby Kebbell and his wardrobe, how did I compare it? You said that he was an, an Anne Rice character mixed with Benny from Benny and June. Yes. No, 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 not Benny. Uh, Benny is Aiden Quinn. Oh, that's right, that's right. So, yeah. so the Johnny Depp character. Yeah. So it was it was <laughs> hilarious. Like, I, I don't understand what his look was. I said that I felt that he was trying to audition for Chris Hemsworth's role in Bad Times at the El Royale, but showed up three days late, but kept the wig. Decided <laughs> to just kind of roll with it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, then we saw Stan and Ollie, which I loved. And I Kristen. thought it was fine. Yeah. I loved it. And it was really fun that, oh, here's a fun story. So, um, <laughs> it was the premiere. And so John C. Riley and Steve Coogan and everybody were there. And, um, like Kristen and I are in line. I was a super nerd and I thought the movie was going to be super full, which actually was really full. It just was tons of priority people. But we ended up like, number one and number two in line and so we're, we're there waiting and at one point uh people are getting there and it's getting really crowded and 
I hear someone talking behind me and I turn around and, oh, it's John C. Riley, like three feet away. And so then they go and do the red carpet and then we go inside, we get our seats. And then as soon as I got Kristen situated, I ran out to the concession stand. So I'm in line behind these two men. I'm not really paying attention to, to who's around, which is not smart when you're at AFI because you never know who's going to be around. Anyway, so I'm standing there and... Um, one of the, I hear one of the guys goes, oh, here's John now. And I look up and John C. Riley is walking right toward them. And so he's standing with these two guys right in front of me in the concession line. And then some other guy comes over to talk to John. And he's like, oh, have you met Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> I was just oh, like, God. I had Paul Thomas Anderson. I didn't even notice it. <laughs> it was really funny. You should have uh, smacked him for me. Like, hey, all your movies except for Magnolia. <laughs> I love Boogie Nights. Um, and then we saw The Favorite. I finally got to see The Favorite. Because I had not seen it. And? Um, and I, I really liked it. I said, I'm not... Yorgos Lanthimos makes movies that I feel I should love, and I just don't. This one is the one I did love. So I feel it got me. Like, Emma Stone's really good. Olivia Coleman's great. But for me, it's all about Rachel Weisz. Like, I have such yeah. a massive girl crush on her. The costuming alone on her character was just insanely my my shit and she is so good in it um and i love how men are just like foppishly stupid <laughs> in that film um and it's so Nick intentional that's yes, the thing that i so love true. about it like yeah. nicholas holt is actually really good playing a person who just doesn't give a shit he's just like um i'm gonna be over here leave me alone um Mr. Taylor Swift is there. I don't know why we keep making him a thing. He walked by me when we came out of the closing night. Him and John David Washington walked by me to use the bathroom. And I kind of wanted to be like, hey, it's Mr. Taylor Swift. Um, now, was was he pretty in person? Or is he just all a product of, you know, looking bland and pretty on screen? He just looks like Leonardo DiCaprio in 97, only not Leonardo DiCaprio. Here's the okay, funny thing. Okay. Like, if I hadn't just seen him, because we actually saw him. We went to The Favorite there. and yeah. Mary Queen of Scots. So, like, we did a double feature. And he's in both of those movies. And the thing is, if I hadn't just seen him in both of those movies, if I just saw him at the party, I would not have paid a single bit of attention and noticed him. Um, he's so I, boring. He's boring, but he sticks out because I feel he's just too... I don't know what. I feel like he just sticks out for me. Maybe because he's Mr. Taylor Swift. Um, so and that was that's it for me because <laughs> I've been aware of him since Operation Finale, and yeah. I keep waiting to see what Hollywood keeps seeing. I mean, I'm all for him making a career off of playing Nazis and assholes, like that's cool. You do you. Um, but we watched Mary Queen of Scots after the favorite. And Which I was the closing night gala, and it was the world premiere. You and I have very different thoughts. Do we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, wait, I liked wait, wait, it. I didn't think it was... What? Okay, so you liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't think it was amazing, but I also didn't think it was the disaster that I feared either. So it was a disaster, I... but I didn't like it. I was... I spent the entire movie just thinking, I cannot believe... This is Josie Rourke's first film. Like this is this is actually really ambitious for a debut, and production value wise, 
I thought it was it was really well done. The cinematography is gorgeous. The score by Max Richter is just beautiful. I really liked the costumes. The story itself, yeah, I had problems with the story. Um, and guys, Mary was raised in France. She would yeah. not be speaking French with a Scottish accent. Yep. Thank you. That was one she of was my not actually Scottish. <laughs> I, that was one of many problems I had. Uh, it was funny. We had a couple that came up and walked by us at the end and said, I didn't know Mary Queen of Scots had such a downer story. Oh, my God. I was like, wow. Wow. Okay. Um, so, what? I mean, I, no. <laughs> I, think a lot of, I think a lot of my problem is the fact that I am a nerd and that I know that is the your material. Problem, yeah. And that I know the material very well. So for me, I felt like a lot of the issues that I had were scripting and how they truncate time. Um, so like if I, that's why I'm kind of surprised that a lot of people who don't know the history really liked it. Cause I was like, if I didn't already know what was in between scenes, I would feel completely lost. Um, so, I mean, I thought it was just kind of a cliff notes presentation of, of everything. Yeah, it's it's yes. beautifully filmed. Um, I, I think Margot Robbie is pointless in the movie. I, I think including Elizabeth is a pointless element because the way they they tried to edit that these two women had more similarities than differences is a little pointed and overused. Um, I agree but, with that completely, actually. Yeah. I would I would have taken Elizabeth out of it totally. Yeah, I, I think that you could have made a, a very very tight film about about Mary Queen of Scots. Um, I did like that, you know, there are some some really female gazy moments. There's a sex scene in this film that I was just like, kudos, kudos for including something like that. Um, so what happens when you have female directors. Exactly. Although I'm not 100% sure how I feel about that, what they did with the Darnley character, depending on what your theory is about how he ends. I was going to say, does this sex scene include the actor we were discussing? Yes, it does. Okay. Yes. It does. yes. Um, although I was sitting in the theater, I, I was sitting, because I didn't sit next to Karen, I sat next to my roommate, and so I was like, I, I told my mom, I'm all, you needed to be there, because I was just like, they would introduce characters, they're like, this is Lord Darnley, and I'd be like, oh shit, like, I know what happens to that guy, okay? They're, or they're like, you know, it's it's Lord Bothwell, I'm like, oh, fuck that dude. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> I'm like, Historically, I know what's gonna happen, but nobody understands my references. Um, and, and Mr. Taylor Swift plays the Earl of Leicester, which I had a lot of issues with, because I was just like, no, the Earl of Leicester, historically speaking, was always the, the dude for Queen Elizabeth, okay? It's a role played by fucking Tom Hardy and Jeremy Irons. You are not either of those men, sir, okay? <laughs> um, He's definitely not. I just want to jump in, though, and say that I was watching it sitting next to Eric Anderson from Awards Watch, and there, there was some very... Um, um, queer positive messaging in the film yes, and was, yes. sitting next to him and listening to him react to it was like it made it just pure gold it was so much fun and to I have really that and I really liked so. the colorblind casting that they did yes yes yeah so so when somebody says oh you couldn't have black people in this movie because of the time period fuck you this movie did it and it was totally fine mm-hmm yeah. exactly so um, yes. I just I wish I liked him I, I expected that I here's the thing I expected that I wouldn't love this movie because I don't tend to love many of these movies. Um, 
but but I do think Saoirse Ronan is is fantastic in it, and it is worth seeing. So I just she's a queen. I love. Will her. she get another Oscar nomination for it? Do you think? I don't. It's think so. such a packed category that probably not. But I'm actually working on, I guess I can talk about this a little bit. Um, I have a series that's starting over at Award Circuit, to, well, this weekend, that is all about breaking down the films that are are directed by women this year that should be considered in all the categories. And one of the things that I've done is gone back through the history of Oscars. And did did you guys, do you guys know how many, uh, how many actors have actors and actresses have won an Oscar for roles that were directed by women. It's gotta be low, 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 low. None would be maybe one, seven, seven. Seven. In 90 years, four acting categories, seven winners. Yeah. So that's actually one of the things I'm going to be talking about because Saoirse Sersha definitely deserves the recognition. I just, because of history, I don't see it happening. But there's, there's definitely she should be in the conversation for sure. This is also a week where Karen said that Army Hammer deserved an Oscar nomination too. What? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Actually, yeah, he totally deserves to be in for supporting actor. He does. Ha ha! That's all I got. <sighs> Yep, it happened. It happened. So, so what is everybody seeing this week, pre Turkey Day or post Turkey Day? The Grinch. Uh, I think I go see go see Wreck It Ralph, you guys. Ralph breaks the internet. It's so funny. I go. I see loved that it. Monday. I think that's my only screening this week because I tried to finish up my AFI coverage. <laughs> uh, I'm going to see Widows tomorrow. Woohoo! Yeah. And we'll be talking about Widows on the next episode after the holiday when Lauren has seen it, so. Yeah. And I'm, so. I'm seeing Green Book on Monday. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I think that's about it for this week. So, of course, if you want to follow us off air, well, you can always listen to the show in all the ways that you listen to podcasts, which you know because you're listening to us right now. So however you found us, keep listening that way. Um, but other ways to find us and follow us and not be creepy, uh, you can go to Twitter. We are at Citizen Dame Pod. If you're on the ghost town that is Facebook, that's facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. We have our official website citizendamepod.com where you can find our uh, weekly Citizen Dame Fives, Feminist Fridays, sometimes Thirst Traps, lots of other stuff. I'm actually going to be... Weekly Thirst Traps, thank you. Oh, <laughs> sorry, yes. I forgot that's like a weekly thing. And I, we're I realized too that I have a What I Did for Love article to do this month, so that I will be up soon. Get that done. I'm going to put up a couple of reviews of things that I didn't get to review for Award Circuit, so they're going to be on Citizen Dame. Um, so that'll be fun. And, of course, we have our Patreon. If you'd like to subscribe for as little as $1, you can unlock all kinds of bonus content, fun bonus episodes. Um, buttons. Buttons will be buttons. going out soon. Yeah. We are working yep. on getting some T-shirts purchased to give to um, some contributors. And anyone who becomes a patron in the month of November, we might extend it to December. I don't know. But uh, it's going to go into uh, a hat along with all the other current U.S.-based patrons, and they are going to win a snazzy prize from uh, Citizen Dame HQ. That's right. 
Um, and we also have our store now, y'all. So there's lots of fun things on there. Uh, if there's things you like that we've said, we'll slap it on a t-shirt for you or a coffee mug or, or lots notebook. of other things. Or yeah. a cell phone case. And that is Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame. We also all have individual Twitters. Kristen? I am at Journeys underscore film. Lauren? I am at LH Business. Kim? At KPierce624. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. We hope you have a great Thanksgiving. We hope that you see lots of movies. Tell us what you're seeing. And uh, we will catch y'all next time. You always do that. What? You act like like it doesn't matter. No. But just... all the little brush-offs, the dismissive pats on the head, it, it matters, Marty. Why? You know what you're doing is important, so who cares? Okay, fine. Next time my boss gives me a clumsy compliment, I'll challenge him to a duel. Will that make you happy? I wouldn't want to hurt your stellar reputation. Just tell me what you want. Nothing. I want nothing. I, I want you to go to work and wow your bosses and clients. I'd be the youngest partner in the history of That's the firm. That's not fair. Then That's I want you to walk me home, Marty, so I can sit in my corner and write a lesson plan to inspire the next no, generation of students to go forth and fight for quality. I don't understand why you're acting like that's such a bad thing. You're out there training the next generation of lawyers to change the world. Because that's what I wanted to do.